0: Well, church, as we said, today is the second Sunday in Advent. It is a Sunday when we focus our hearts on peace. Let's pray together and we will study the word. Gracious God, we thank you. We thank you for these good opportunities that we have each week. Help us to do something good with them. In your name we pray. Amen. In the movie Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, there's this scene where Jones is lowered into a room that is essentially a pit of snakes. There are hundreds of snakes. Actually, when I did a little research on the movie, they used 7,000 snakes to do this. And they are piled up on each other, trying trying to share space, but not knowing how to get away from the pit. And right before Jones comes face-to-face with one of them, you see these two other encounters where the snakes turn on each other, and they're hissing and striking out at one another. That happens, doesn't it? When snakes feel trapped or cornered or threatened, they prepare for attack. That's what people do, too when they're trying to make their way to the top, when they feel trapped, when they feel cornered. And today along comes John the Baptist, and he stands on the shoreline, and and all of these people have come out to be baptized by him, and, and he calls them a brood of vipers. A brood is a pile of snakes. It's what Indiana Jones encountered before he found the lost ark. So imagine imagine a Sunday morning where you come into church and I stand up in front of you and I say good morning. Welcome to church. I am so glad you are here, you brood of vipers. John calls them a pile of snakes. He's calling them out. He's naming. He's naming that what has happened here is that some of them have come to the river for very selfish reasons and now they're squirming all over each other. They're trying to make it to the top, whether that's for recognition or preservation or simply pride, not not because they're really interested in what John's got going on. And, And he says to them, he said, who warned you? Who warned you to flee from the wrath? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Don't say to yourselves, and I'm gonna translate for you here, don't say to yourselves, we're related to Abraham, so we're covered. God's capable of turning rocks into descendants of Abraham. Instead, instead, let your lives show good fruit, and if that's not possible, then let them be cut down. There's a significant impediment to peace when people feel that there might be a shortage of something or when they perceive that they have to compete for something. This is why many of the stores that open for Black Friday have to be really, really careful about those doorbuster deals because if there are only three Xboxes and there are 80 people looking to get them, The chances of peaceful encounters here are slim to none. Likewise, when it comes to competing for attention. In just about any scenario where you have more than one person looking for attention from another, it can be difficult to maintain a peaceful life. Think of children trying to get mom's attention. Or those overly dramatic reality TV shows where you have a whole bunch of people competing for the affection of someone else. What keeps those shows on television is not that somebody finds this great romantic relationship, it's all the fighting that goes on in between that everybody wants to sit down and be a spectator for. When we perceive that there's not enough, that we're not getting our fair share we start going down a path that leads us away from peace and yet all of these people have come to the jordan and they've responded to john's proclamation of baptism baptism of repent of repentance For the forgiveness of sins and they have heard him say the words of isaiah the voice of one crying out in the wilderness prepare the way of the lord make his paths straight every valley shall be filled every mountain shall be made low all the crooked shall be made straight the rough ways be moved and all the flesh all the flesh shall see the salvation of god and so now they've all shown up And by calling them this brood of vipers, he has really gotten their attention, right? Somebody calls you a brood of vipers, you're going to want to pay attention. You're going to want to learn a little bit more about that. So he's gotten their attention so that they can understand that that he's not a joke. He's not a traveling sideshow here. We're not all going to get baptized because all the cool kids are doing it. This is a big deal. And so he's quickly separating those who have come for authentic reasons and those who have come just to be looky-loos. When Indiana Jones descended into the pit, the snakes wriggled around looking for a prime position to see who is disturbing our space. We have so little space to begin with. We have so little that is ours, and yet somebody has come into this and disturbed it. And when the camera pans in to the snakes that have made it to the way to the top, you see that they are ready to attack. They're ready to attack Indiana. They are ready to attack each other. Anybody that is a threat to their space and their stuff, they want to protect themselves from. Well, John's arrival is a disturbance in this force for the people. They are very used to having very little. They're used to having to writhe around and try to get to the top. In an ancient world that is very oppressive to them, they're used to having to protect their very little stuff. They all want their fair share. They want what's coming to them, what's due to them. And here comes John, and he tells them, your brood of vipers what are you looking for and then he says to them bear fruits worthy of repentance bear fruits worthy of repentance let your life speak basically this comes down to him saying look don't rely on your family name for salvation don't rely on your family name for your salvation because each of us are individuals And as such, the quality, the fruit of each of our individual lives is far more important than our ancestry. In the kingdom that is to come, we will be looked upon by the fruit that our lives produced. Nobody else, nobody else can produce fruit on your behalf. So we're supposed to bear this fruit. What does that mean? It must have sounded very strange even to the original hearers. Because they've been going through their lives like a pile of snakes, doing the same things over and over again with this lingering fear of deficit, of there not being enough to go around, of trying to make themselves stand out in a world that is quickly passing away. And along comes John talking about repentance and bearing fruit. Well, if repentance means that we're going to turn away from something, then we're going to turn towards something else as followers of jesus we turn towards god and while turning towards uh, towards god is a part of what it means to be a disciple we are also called to bear fruit if i say to you that i have a lemon tree in my front yard you are going to assume that it produces lemons right but if year after year season after season there is nothing there is no yield whatsoever has the lemon tree really served its purpose i could have planted an oak and gotten the same results when we talk about bearing fruit we talk about the evidence of our lives and on a practical level what does it look like what does it look like to live in the way of the lord Which is different than the way of the world. And that's the exact same question that these crowds asked of John. So it was okay, John, we get it. We're a brood of vipers. We gotta repent, we gotta bear fruit. What what does that look like? And John's response is this whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. You know, there's great many mysteries in the Bible. There's great many ways of interpreting things, but this particular verse is pretty clear. If you've got two coats, share one. If you've got extra food, share it. Even the tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked, teacher, what should we do? And he said to them, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, and what should we do? And he said, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations, be satisfied with your wages. These are very practical things that if you think about them, make a whole lot of sense. If you have two coats, share with someone who has none. Have you ever had the experience of being cold for a very long time? It's not comfortable. It's not comfortable. And if it gets too cold, If it gets too cold and you are out there for too long, it can be dangerous. And when people are put into desperate situations and being cold for a long, dangerous period of time is a desperate situation. When people are put into desperate situations, we see them doing things that they would not do if their basic needs were being met. Not a single one of us is going to be at our very best if we stand outside in the cold without a coat for several hours. And once you lose your ability to be at your very best, you expose yourself and others to your very worst. If you go a day or two without food, you can get irritable, you can get frustrated, and when that happens, the peace around you gets compromised. It is a very practical way of peace to provide for others out of our abundance. When you look back at history and at the major conflicts and and wars, on a very primal level, you see that many of them, many of them were assisted and fueled by this myth of scarcity, that there's not enough to go around. And yet, in God's economy, there is, if we're willing to be generous with what we have. So a practical way of peace is to share a coat. The other two ways that John describes how we, how we, how we build peace deal with money. And again, it's important to see that connection between economics and peace. It is difficult to build relationships When one party feels as though they have been taken advantage of and the other party, whether in reality or not, has taken advantage of them. That's why many of us don't have peaceful relationships, say, with the IRS, right? Because it breeds mistrust and it breeds resentment and it creates an imbalance of power, which again leads to a diminished peace when we take advantage of one another. Now, how does all of this impact our Christmas this year? What can we do to practice a practical piece besides giving away one of our coats to someone who needs them? One thing is to really think about the gifts that we give. The gifts that we give to our friends, our family, our neighbors. Who made them? Who made those gifts? Where did they come from? somebody somewhere made them so that amazing pair of pants that you got at 80 percent off on black friday that's fantastic you got an amazing deal what did the person who made the pants get now i am not suggesting that everybody needs to go home today and research the source material for everything that you've gotten for christmas but i am suggesting that maybe there needs to be some reflection on our parts to consider that all of those great deals do cost somebody something, even if that is someone somewhere out in the world that we will never know or see. How we buy and what we buy do make a difference, and it is a very practical way of peace to consider how what we buy impacts lives all around the globe. Now, maybe, maybe you'll go out to eat this season, and someone is going to bring some food out to you, and you may have the opportunity then to leave them a tip. If your bill comes to $100 and you leave a $2 tip, not only are you being cheap, But you may have also planted a seed of discord in the heart of your server that could have an impact that you may never know about. I want you to consider this. I want you to consider a single mom working at a restaurant as a second job. She is raising a child, she's got two jobs, she's doing it by herself, she is exhausted. She gives you great service and you, in turn, give her an appalling tip. Then you get to walk out of that restaurant and you get to go through the whole rest of your week as though nothing ever happened. She goes home in her frustration and her exhaustion and she's discouraged and her child comes up to her and just like every child, understandably, wants her attention. How do you think that's going to go? How could your actions have possibly changed the outcome of this event in a more peaceful way? You could have done something generous that may have created a peace that you would never have known about. Another practical approach to peace is, is for each of us to seek satisfaction in what we already have not in what it is that we think that we want the kids get this the kids get this they got this right away john warns us not to exhort uh, others or extort others or falsely accuse them but to be satisfied with our wages isn't it fascinating how in a one 24-hour period during Thanksgiving week, we can all sit down at the table, we can give thanks for everything that we have, and as soon as the last of the turkey's gone, we are out the door to buy more stuff? Isn't that amazing? We don't really understand gratitude if we're just going out there to get more. And the stores, they love this, and they play into that desire. Jewelry stores are fantastic. If you really love her, Right? If you really love her, you will spend so much money. And the toy stores, they're onto this too. For the kid that you love most, right? I have three, so we always talk about that a lot. For the kid that you love most, they get get the best toy. One of the reasons that we don't find peace is that we have a hard time finding satisfaction in what we have. And as long as you're out there looking for more, you are never going to find that peace. One of the things about Christmas Eve, at least the faith-filled part of it, is that it's peaceful. And it's peaceful because there's this very one small moment of time, even here at the well, which is usually loud and noisy and boisterous and chaotic, but there's this one moment at Christmas Eve, whether you're here or someplace else, where it seems like the whole world realizes, just, just for a minute, that Jesus is enough. And it's usually at that candlelight part. The whole church is, is quiet for a second. And they're holding those candles and they're singing Silent Night. And Jesus comes into the world. There's this fullness, a, a completeness that fills people with awe and joy. And so in that that one holy moment, and I would argue it is the holiest moment of the Christmas Eve service, everyone, everyone takes a deep breath, this pause, and breathes in the peace of God. Practical peace is loving your neighbor, sharing with others. Don't take more than you need. I, I remind you that we have a potluck tonight. Don't take more than you need. Be content with what you have. Don't cheat, don't lie, don't steal. If the whole world did those things, those very practical things, then there would be more peace on earth. Let's pray together. Lord God, um, we, we confess that this is a season that throws even the best of us off a little bit. Where we have not been consumers all year, we, we want to consume, we think, we think that we are being generous, but the real generosity comes by looking around and, and seeing who is in need, who is cold, who is hungry. It comes in realizing that we have enough. It comes in acknowledging that there are people who made all of these things that that we buy who very possibly may not be getting paid fairly. Lord, help us to start a practical peace in each one of our lives, not by sitting down at World Summit meetings, but by creating a peace in our home, in our neighborhood, in our town. In your name we pray. Amen.